Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Well, when I was a kid, which uh, is back in the Paleozoic era when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth, there, there was it was common to see a TV repair truck in your neighborhood. Actually, it was common to see all kinds of repair trucks in your neighborhood. Well, technology has changed. Things have changed. And in, in some cases, things are not as repairable as they were. You don't have the uh, discrete components, the resistors and capacitors and tubes that can be replaced as maybe you did in years gone by. But something else has changed, and that is that manufacturers – are selling things that they don't want you to repair. They don't even want you, if you enjoy repairing or tinkering with something, they, they don't even want you doing that. Farmers are finding that their tractors uh, are, are not repairing and in some cases are not being able to be repaired. And in some cases, uh, there are cases of farmers being sued by the tractor manufacturer because they repaired their own tractor. What is the right to repair movement? Why are consumer advocates, uh, technicians, engineers, scientists all saying that, hey, we buy these things, we should have the right to repair them. And uh, how can you get involved and how can you protect ourselves, our, yourself? Our guests this morning are going to talk about that. Emma Horst-Martz is an advocate associate with the Penn Perg campaign. Uh, Good morning, Emma. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for for being with us. And Emma, you're joining us from where? Philadelphia? Yes, I'm in Philadelphia. Uh, Also on the line with us this morning is Tim Mercer. He is a repair technician, I believe, and he's in Afreda, Pennsylvania. Uh, Good morning, Tim. Good morning. How are you doing? And it's Menser, M-E-N-T-Z-E-R. Menser. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Uh, first things first, uh, Emma, you heard the little introduction I gave. Uh, what is the, the right to repair? What is Penn Perg first, and what is the right to repair movement? Sure. So Penn Perg is a statewide consumer advocacy nonprofit organization. So we stand up to the powerful special interests that may threaten the public's health, safety, and well-being. And we've been working on this right to repair issue for a while now, um, both across the country with our national PERG groups and here in Pennsylvania now this year. And you're absolutely right. Technology has changed, and many of the devices that we've come to rely on are not based on mechanics anymore. They all have some sort of computer system installed, which means it's more difficult to repair these items. It used to be that if something broke, you could get out your toolbox and fix it yourself or have a choice of a couple of different places to take it to get it repaired. But big companies like Apple and even tractor companies like John Deere have cornered the repair market, now charge incredible fees, making a huge profit off of consumers to repair your devices like your cell phone. Um, And this hurts consumers. It also squashes innovation where young people used to be able to tinker with their products and figure out how to build it. 
they can't do that anymore in the same way because they don't have access to the replacement parts and tools and information they need to do that. This is interesting to me on a couple of different levels, uh, one being that, that one of my board members here, we are a, the Tube City Community Media is a nonprofit, and one of my board members runs a cell phone and laptop repair service. So he runs into this problem all the time where either the company will not sell him the parts or, in, in some cases, if he opens the cell phone with certain manufacturers or certain providers, he what they call bricks it. You know, as soon as he opens it, it disables the device and he has to tell people, I'm sorry, I can't fix it. You know, even though you have a, you have a fairly minor problem, you have a scratch or you have a crack on the screen or something, I, I can't fix it. You have to throw this away and, and, and get a new one. Um, that, that has a lot of different implications, doesn't it, Emma? I'm thinking not just economic, that, hey, you have this device and now you have to buy another one. But all this stuff then ends up being electronic waste, doesn't it? Exactly. So that was one of the big motivations for our organization to work on this issue. Um, In Pennsylvania, we throw away 15,000 cell phones every single day. And then across the entire country, that adds up to 416,000 cell phones going into the waste stream every day across the U.S. And cell phones are made with incredibly toxic materials. So you can imagine that's leaking back into our environment, and it's bad for not just the environment, but our health as well. When we think that we're recycling them, because a lot of stores now have uh, cell phone recycling stations, are they actually being recycled or are they just being tossed out? It is very difficult to recycle these types of products. Oftentimes they're sent overseas and low-wage workers have to pick apart the different pieces of a cell phone and take out all those materials to be reused. And what we're seeing is that the majority of the time, that cell phone is not really being turned into a new device. So the recycling process is broken for electronic devices. And the best way to be sustainable with these products is to be able to repair them and continue to use them for many more years. Uh, Emma Hortz-Martz is with uh, Penn Perg. Uh, Emma, do you have a website that people can check out? Yes, we do. It's www.penperg.org. Uh, Penperg, P-I-R-G uh, dot O-R-G. We're going to bring Tim Menser from Menser Repairs in Afreda into the conversation here in just a minute. He's been very patient to wait on the line with us. But, um, Emma, before we, we do that and we get a little bit more into detail here, tell us what happened, uh, I believe it was a couple of days ago, you had a group of what they call STEM professors, which is science, technology, engineering, and math uh, professors all over the state of Pennsylvania who signed a, a, a letter uh, calling on the Pennsylvania General Assembly to, to, to step in. What, tell us about the letter, what, what they are asking to do. Yes. So we had a group of 175 professors from across the country who have spoken up in favor of the right to repair movement. Um, the letter states that or calls for right to repair reforms um, to remove these barriers to repair that we're seeing manufacturers of everything from smartphones to tractors putting up. It also includes five benefits to eliminating these barriers. One, repair inspires a love of technology. Um, Repair info aids research and lab instruction. Durable, repairable devices are critical for a more ecological future. 
And finally, tinkering and repurposing lead to innovation. So these are all things that STEM professors recognize are so important to creating the next generation of engineers and people who know how to build and create devices and innovation. And they see how important this ability to tinker with products is to that learning process. I was thinking of we've, – we've talked about tractors a few times, and it sounds funny, but it's not funny for our listeners who are out in uh, uh, Washington and, and Westmoreland counties. But for, for most of us, the most expensive purchase you have after your home is your car. And, and I'm thinking from my own uh, – few years ago, I had the – you know, the warning light comes on on the dashboard, and I took the car to the dealer, and I got no satisfaction from the dealer. So I took it to my local mechanic, who I've been going to for years and years and years, and he said, well, Jason, I know exactly what – What's wrong with the car? He said, I can diagnose it. He said, I can even order the part. He said, but because I won't mention the manufacturer, which was Ford, haha, uh, he said, Ford won't let me have the software to program the ROM that's on the part. He said, so I can install it for you. He said, but you're going to have to go back to the dealer anyways and ha- have the, the software installed. Um, yeah, so I want to address two things that you said. The first is that the situation you had with your Ford dealership is incredibly problematic because this whole campaign around the right to repair started in the early 2000s when um, cars were beginning to be run off of computer software. And the attorney general in Massachusetts actually sued the car companies for independent repair shops and consumers to get the same rights to that diagnostic software, like the technology you need to fix your car, that the dealerships have. And they actually won that case along with a ballot initiative that was supported by the public. So that's why independent repair shops, car repair shops, are supposed to be able to diagnose a problem with your car and fix it. Uh, we have to take a pause. When we come back, uh, Tim Menser from Menser Repairs, I want to bring you in and, and hear a little bit about your experiences. And uh, then I want to ask uh, both of you a, a little bit more about what our listeners can do to uh, defend themselves, okay? Support for this broadcast comes from Strifler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Strifler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families at White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Strifler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Strifler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifler's.com or call 4 4- one two six seven eight six one nine one. Talking about the right to repair movement, everything in your house now probably has some embedded level of technology. If you've gone to uh, uh, any of the appliance stores or Home Depot or Lowe's and you've looked at refrigerators, they some of them have internet connectivity now. Your washing machine can have internet connectivity now. What happens when the company decides that? They want to take that connectivity away from you, or they send a software update that breaks it, and you're not allowed to fix it. Well, that's what the right to repair movement is all about. Tim Menser, uh, tell me about your business. Uh, tell me about Afreda, Pennsylvania, first of all. I, I believe I've been through there, but for our listeners, t- tell us where Afreda is. Yes, it's deep in the heart of uh, southern, well, east, northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, eastern Pennsylvania, I would say, mm-hmm. Lancaster County. Yeah. Part of, some of the Amish, Amish country. Beautiful country down there, um, and and a lot of people who, uh, well, I was going to you, you tell me about it. A lot, a lot of people who probably uh, live out in the country, but you've got some small towns like Afreda and, and Lancaster, which is not a small town. 
Yes, exactly. It's a very beautiful area, very beautiful countryside, uh, suburban, but it's also built up with some beautiful cities, like you said, Lidditz, Lancaster, and Reading as well. What, what, what sort of, uh, how long have you been repairing things, and what sort of things do you repair at your shop? Yeah, I've been repairing things over 10 years now, and at my shop, I actually started fixing video game systems on the side out of my house, and it just started to be a whole business just from that, and there wasn't anyone doing it. Uh, the Xbox 360 for Microsoft, and then we started fixing PlayStations, and it kind of grew into phones, and that was before I even opened the shop, and then it was like, wow, there's no one fixing these things. And to this day, even where I'm at, there's really not that many shops that fix phones and devices, but that's a large part due to because the market's so weird with finding parts, getting tools, without breaking things because there's no guide to take anything apart. You're blind half the time and you're figuring something out for the first time. Do you find that that the manufacturers almost tell people that things aren't repairable, that, oh, this this can't be fixed, you just have to buy a new one? Yes, exactly. So with phones, a lot of times, I have plenty of people come in and say, well, I was at the Verizon store, but they told me I have to buy a new phone. Now, there's some local stores that I know, Verizon, T-Mobile, and we tell them about our services. And some stores are honest and will tell the customers that they can fix their device. But a lot of times they just sell you a brand-new phone and tell you that you lost your data and that type of thing. And then the other side of the spectrum is with Apple with their laptops and their phones. Their software will not update. Say they come out with a new software version. They can decide and say, hey, the iPhone 6, that's been out for too long. We're not going to let anyone use this new software in that, so those people are going to have to buy a new phone. So there's so many ways you can control things with software and hardware. It's just ridiculous. With, with another In another lifetime, and we're talking with Tim Menser. Uh, he uh, owns a repair shop in Lancaster County. Um, also on the line with us is Emma Horst-Martz from uh, PennPerg, which is the Pennsylvania Public Interest Research Group. Uh, we're talking about the right to repair movement. In, in another lifetime, I worked as an electronics technician for uh, Kennywood Park, which is uh, the big amusement park here in the Pittsburgh area, and we repaired video games. And what I learned doing that job is, you know, probably 80% of what we did was routine maintenance. It was, you know, the, the same thing. You would look inside and you would think, oh, this is so complicated. It will never be fixed. But, you know, it was a CD tray that uh, was binding up or it was a belt somewhere that was broken or it was a power supply that, you know, a wire had come disconnected or something. And, and th- these things are repairable in, in, in many cases. Um, you mentioned the iPhone 6, and I think there have been reports that um, – uh, Apple, and I don't want to single out any company in particular because they're all, they're all pretty much are doing this, that Apple is actually artificially slowing down older iPhones to, to make them run slower to, to encourage people to buy newer ones. Is this, is this something, Tim, that you have run into as well? Yes, all, all the time. And that's the worst part is you can turn that feature off because it's a feature, actually. Oh, a fe- yeah, that's a feature. They call that a feature. Yeah. <laughs> They call it a feature. They, 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 they feature your phone running slower. Okay, go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, anyhow, it's just ridiculous because they don't tell you that putting a new battery in would fix it. So, And that's just how it is, though. And then the other part is the newer iPhones, I think it's the X or the next one above it, when you put a new battery in, it still says when you put a new battery in, even if you take an original battery from, a non, or from another working phone, the phone can tell it has like a chip inside of it, and it'll tell you this is not an authorized part. You know, your phone's not going to work right, even though it's a working battery. You know, you took it out of the exact same iPhone, 100% working. But Apple, you know, you need to go to them. Also, the new iPhone 8, how the, the back is glass. It's a very, very hard type of glass to replace. So Apple made it. You basically have to buy a new phone because they charge like 
So, so even though it's something that is a replaceable part, like I said, so that we, as I've learned, so many of these things were fixable, even in the field in, in many cases. Even though this is a replaceable part, it's a battery. You take the battery out, you put a new battery in. They don't even want you to replace the battery. They want you to chuck the whole thing. The And iPhones are what, – what's an iPhone retail for now? You said four, five, six hundred dollars $600? Um, yeah, uh, yep, two, three, yeah, two hundred to eight hundred. I mean, some of them actually go up over a thousand dollars. But yeah, they they want you to chuck it and 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 buy a new phone to replace it because the battery went dead. And, uh, and people literally, and that's the worst part. And that's why right to repair is so important, is because we have so many customers who say, "Oh, I didn't know you could fix that," or they just say, "Oh, well, I figured you just have to buy a new one," and they just go with that answer because it's just like the default for people. Uh, let's really, bring really the word out. Let's bring uh, Emma Hortz, uh, Martz from uh, Penperg, uh, back into the conversation. Emma, d- 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 does does Penperg or or your uh, the, or does the U.S. Public Interest Research Group do they have any idea like what the economic impact of this is? We're going to talk about the the sociological impact, which is what the professors uh, were talking about in the letter they signed. But what's the economic impact of of this on on people's pocketbooks? Do we know? Yeah, I mean, we're just seeing that this push to constantly upgrade and buy the next new device, even when something is or should be repairable, it has a huge impact on people's financial situations. And the reality is most Americans can't afford to change a $1,000 phone every couple of years when their their last one, they're told, goes dead. Um, So, you know, it hits consumers the hardest. But the other side of this is that these are intentional decisions that technology companies are making, and they're intentionally putting that burden on consumers. Companies have every capability to provide the information, tools, and replacement parts to allow independent repair shops like Tim's or independent consumers who, you know, are a little more tech-savvy and want to tinker with their devices to allow those people to make their own repairs. But instead, these big companies and Honestly, Apple is the most nefarious of them all, um, really have made a choice that they're going to corner that repair market and make a huge profit off consumers throwing away old devices and upgrading to the next one. I should mention, by the way, that opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media, and also that our studio runs on on Apple and uh, Linux machines. So we are well familiar uh, with with uh, the, the things that that you're talking about. Uh, we have a, one more thirty second uh, break to take. The time goes very quickly. When we come back, um, I do want to talk about the, the the sociological and the educational impact of what the professors that signed this letter were talking about, which is telling people that they can't repair things disables their ability to tinker, to learn, to to become the next generation of business people, entrepreneurs, innovators, and engineers, okay? Yes. Sounds good. Uh, we're talking right now about the right to repair movement. And on the line with us is Emma Hortz-Martz. She's with the Penn Perg campaign. You can find out more about Penn Perg and all of the different consumer advocacy uh, things that they do at org. Also on the line with us is Tim Menser. He's the owner of an independent repair shop in Lancaster County, in Afreda, actually. Uh, and, and he's going to talk to us a little bit more about uh, what he runs into uh, in his business. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. You know, we're looking for help in getting this show on the air and for help with other projects. If you're interested in the McKeesport area and you'd like to host a program or write articles for the website, 
call us at 412-614-9659 or email TubeCityTiger at gmail.com. Uh, we, we have talked about the tractors, and, and, and it's not... It's not an academic argument. It's not meant to be humorous at all. Uh, as I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, everything now seems to be Internet-enabled, have Wi-Fi capability, wireless Bluetooth capability. And uh, Emma Horse Smarts from uh, Penn Perg, tell us about why I keep mentioning tractors. Because Am I correct that, that s- some farmers have been sued for repairing their own tractors? Yes, that's right. So like we discussed with other devices, Tractors are one of those things that are no longer mechanical. They're now run off of computer software. This allows farmers to track weather patterns and find the best place in the field to work on that day. But it also has really negative implications for their ability to fix their own um, tractor. So instead of being able to get out their toolbox and fix the tractor and get back to work like they used to be able to, now there's a code that you need to insert in the computer software to diagnose the problem and fix the tractor. This means that farmers have to call the original manufacturer, like John Deere, for example, and have someone come out to do that work for them. This can cost hundreds of dollars an hour, and it means that farmers are losing all of that productive time actually using their tractor in the field. And in that industry, time is literally money. So it's having a really negative impact on the farming community. And, and I should mention that it's, a, you know, farmers, you mentioned the getting out the toolbox, but, uh, you know, can also their toolbox can also include a voltmeter and a code reader and a laptop with a USB. I mean, you know, just because you're working on a farm does not mean you don't understand technology. Um, so right. they, they have the capability to do it. They have the, much like my independent repair shop, I know what the problem is. I can even fix the problem, but they won't let, they won't let me have the software that needs to be uploaded exactly. to, to, to do it. And so it's the same problem that the, that the tractor folks are, are that the farmers uh, are, are running into. Let me play devil's advocate with you for a minute, Emma. And, and I know we're coming sort of sure. to the end of the half hour, but the, the companies are going to say, well, if we share this stuff with an independent repair shop like Tim Menser's or with my independent garage here in McKeesport or with a farmer in Lancaster County or, or Washington County, they can then share that with my competitor and my competitor will get access to my copyrighted or patented features and I can't allow that. So for competitive reasons, I need to hold on to this stuff. What's, the, what's your response to that? Because we don't want to hurt companies' uh, willingness to compete and to innovate. Of course. So this is the biggest argument that we hear from the industry in opposition to the right to repair. And the reality is that people who want to fix their stuff are not interested in stealing proprietary information and redesigning products. They simply want the information, schematics, tools, and parts to be able to make that repair and continue using their device, or like Tim, to help their customers continue using devices. And in places where we've seen smaller right-to-repair concessions, um, there hasn't been an issue with lack of competition. It actually increases competition in the marketplace. It encourages innovation and design because then people have access to learn how to um, take things apart and put them back together. But they're not interested in stealing that 
design or proprietary information. I'm old enough to remember when the manufacturers printed the schematic on the inside of the device so that you could troubleshoot it. (laughs) So apparently competition wasn't a problem back then um, for for, for people to to be able to copy stuff when they could just open the device and and find the schematic diagram. Uh, Tim, how did you get into do you have a technical background how did you you mentioned that you started out repairing video games for people as a side business but did you go to a technical college were you interested in engineering what encouraged you on this career path yeah i got a computer when i was about five uh, and i'm 38 so that's quite a long time ago a couple of years old monochrome monitor you know leading edge ms dot point <laughs> Something I don't know, or version five, I think actually. But anyhow, I did that, and then was into computers ever since I was a small child. Played a lot of video games, messed around a lot in the computer up until I was. Nowadays, I mean, I've been doing it since I was then. And uh, Xbox and that type of thing that kind of just happened on the side. I needed a way to make money, and uh, I liked fixing computers, and it's kind of turned into a whole business. So. Fixing things was not my primary focus with computers. I was primarily software, but now I just uh, do hardware repair, and that's really uh, it's a big market. It's great. And, and you really help people out because then they don't have to buy new devices. We see it all the time. People go spend $1,000 on a new phone. It's ridiculous. It costs more than a car sometimes. We, we we have a, a very active ham radio uh, community in, in the Pittsburgh area. We also have at McKeesport High School and at Clareton High School across the river uh, robotics clubs. Um, and the kids there have, have done some amazing things because I've seen them at different community events and whatever, demonstrating some of the projects they've worked on. Uh, Tim Menser, from your perspective, being able to tinker and being able to get under the hood and see kind of what goes on, does that encourage people to then want to pursue a career in electrical engineering, computer engineering? computer science, robotics, whatever? Oh, yeah. I highly recommend it, and I think every child should have that opportunity because, you know, you could play video games all day long, but you're not going to learn critical thinking and reasoning, which are important and what a lot of people lack. So, yes, uh, all need that support. Absolutely. Uh, Emma Hortz-Martz from uh, Penn Perg. Um, what is the situation like in other countries, in Canada, in the EU, in the UK, in Australia? Do, do these other countries have right to repair, or does it vary from country to country? It varies from country to country, but I will say that there is a strong right to repair movement in the EU, and they have been slowly but surely passing different provisions that do allow for access to replacement parts and service information and tools for different kinds of devices. Um, I know something that's passed recently that allows independent consumers and repair shops to fix those um, more electronic household appliances Mm -hmm. you were talking about before with your dishwashers or washing machines that may have computer systems. Um, And they're steadily working towards the place of having full right to repair on all devices. So it's really exciting globally. Uh, Emma, in the last minute or so that we have left, uh, for our listeners who are hearing this and, and maybe have run into some of the same issues, what can they do? Your, your professors, the 175 uh, engineering professors who, who signed this letter to the state legislature uh, are urging right-to-repair legislation in Pennsylvania. What can our listeners do? Should they call or write their state legislator? Yes, exactly. Um, so the best thing that you can do in terms of supporting legislation is to call or write a letter to your Pennsylvania state representative in the House 
Um, a bill is going to be introduced in the next couple of weeks, actually, by Representative Austin Davis mm-hmm. um, from Allegheny County, where I believe your station is. And where Austin and, Austin has been a guest on this program, yes, so we, we know Austin. Great. <laughs> yeah, we, we love Representative Davis. Um, so you should call your representatives to encourage them to vote for the Digital Fair Repair Act. But in the meantime, while we wait for legislation to pass, um, I would encourage consumers to take your devices that are broken or slowing down to independent repair shops like Tim's, and there's a lot they can do. Um, they may be barred from getting certain parts or tools, but you know it's the best bet to take it to an independent repair shop at this point. And the other side of that is don't give up on your devices. You can buy refurbished, that's a great option, and look into the repair options before you chuck something and upgrade to the next model. Uh, we've been talking this morning about the right to repair movement. Emma Hortz-Martz is an ad, uh, associate and, and consumer advocate at Penn Perg. Uh, also on the line with us has been Tim Menser from Afreda, which is in uh, Lancaster County. Uh, he is an independent repair shop owner. Thank you both for taking some time to talk with us this morning. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening today to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center. Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.